Making it sound like it's painful. <laughs> All right, welcome everybody. I'm Morena. Good to have you uh, tune in live from wherever you are um, in New Zealand, Australia, Ukraine, and Russia. Um, somebody could be watching, so um, you know, including you and the rest of the world. Well, God's word is so important in this uh, day, in this time that we're living in. And I believe it's been a struggle, a fight uh, in people's lives and families. Um, neighborhoods, workplaces, governments. Because right now there's a huge struggle going on. Um, after coming through two and a half years almost of the worst time I believe that our country has ever experienced. Job losses, businesses have crashed. Uh, people who have been um, harmed in some way or damaged. Uh, whether it's psychologically, emotionally or physically by not being able to access health services properly. But it's been a trying time, and it seems like there's a feel that there's a freeing upcoming. But there's some things that I think we need to talk about today. They're on my heart, and I believe they are really important for us to be able to hear what the Spirit is saying, what Christ is saying to His people. It's very important. So are you ready? I've got a nice little crew here today with me in my prison. It's, while I was joining in, and Hannah was right. I think I'm on 62 days as being a political prisoner. I am a political prisoner. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that today and uh, bring some home truths because I think we're entering some of the most important months, uh, 18 months to our next election. If you've never been interested in politics, you need to get interested right now because politics is power. And that power, or that political power, is what has brought us to this point. It's got us um, on our knees at one stage, taken away our freedom and our rights. So started politically, and I believe it's got to finish politically. And there has to be something done about our political future. And so every person everywhere across this country has to be engaged and interested in what they're going to do with one of the most powerful things they have in their possessions, and that's their vote. Your vote has been underestimated. And I believe a lot of people just carry it in their back pocket um, until the actual polling day when they decide who am they going to put that vote toward. I think a lot of people are politically homeless, not sure who to vote for. Many now don't want the Labour government in because of the incompetence of that government and the many other things that I talked about before. And so sometimes we think we're forced just to take whatever is left on the bench. The same political pull, I talked about this the other day, and I am talking about it because it's important that we focus a lot more on what we're going to do with that vote. Who's going to get what shapes my future? What shapes, more importantly, our children and my grandchildren's future? The country we, they get is the one we give them. And so what you contribute now is vitally important um, for our children's children's future. So a little bit of what I'm going to talk about today is going to start talking toward that. Um, I'm a part of a whole lot of New Zealanders that are not happy with any political party in, in government right now. I'm not happy with our political system. I believe it's on the twilight of its, of its, of its tenure it's life. The political system we have right now is corrupted, it's contaminated, 
and it no longer serves, serves, that's the word, the people of New Zealand. And so we now have to go beyond just the blue and the red voting that uh, New Zealanders have got into a bad political behaviours about, just voting red this, this election, or you get sick of red and you vote blue. And we just bounce between the two with other parties trying to chime in from the side. I think we've got to end that type of political circus. No more politicians what we have presently now I want to vote for. Um, so um, how does this all relate to what I'm going to talk about? Well, I'm going to 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1 to 4. And if you're familiar, that's about the life of Elijah. Um, if you're not familiar, well, I'm going to fill you in quickly about what I'm going to read from the scriptures. And I'll read this because I think this speaks to our present situation right now. So it came to pass in verse 1 of 1 uh, Kings chapter 18. It came to pass. After many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah. In the third year say, go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab and there was a severe famine in Samaria. Look at that, there was a, a severe famine. So a famine is a shortage of food. That's what we're facing now supposedly. There's a shortage, a shortage of food. Shortage of wheat, the cost of living is high. Uh, you know what's going on now. Isn't it quite interesting, the parallels, that as I read this scripture right now, it's talking about a famine. There are two aspects of a famine when the Bible speaks about it. I'll just give this to you quickly so we, we've got it in our memory bank. The famine is the shortage of foods, food, resources, supply. Right. The other famine is a shortage of God's word. The, the, the revelation, more importantly, Man shall not live on bread alone. This is what Jesus said. But he should live on every word that proceeds. That's the key. Proceeding means it's moving. And it's moving from where? Out of the mouth. So it's a spoken word. More people need to be hearing the word of God. Revelation doesn't come by reading, as I said before. Revelation comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. There's a famine in our country right now of not just revelation, which is bringing light to God's word, but there's a famine in people being interested in God's word that they've tried to outdate the Bible. They've tried to outdate Jesus Christ. They've tried to outdate our Christianity. So it's not so trendy or fashionable anymore. But I'll talk a bit about that in a moment. So see that famine? So there is is a lot that I'm going to read that will uh, immediately... Uh, bring into uh, focus what we're in right now. So, he's been given the word of the Lord, and and it says here, he went to present himself to Ahab, there was a severe famine. Verse 3, Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. So, it's talking about Ahab, and then the next verse 4, it says, now, while Jezebel, oh, there's that woman. That's the name that most of you could be familiar with. Even people who don't read the Bible, when you hear the name Jezebel, it rings a bell. (laughs) Right? How many uh, mums have named their daughter Jezebel? (laughs) For some reason, (laughs) why not? It's quite an interesting name. If you're into stylish, you know, the J-E, you know, Z, you can make it quite nice. 
It sounds nice as a girl's name, doesn't it? Jezebel. Well, it's funny though, you're right, it doesn't. The silence tells me everything in here in the room. That Jezebel isn't the name that you really want to give your daughter. Unless what? That girl is a total, you know, selfish, horrible write-off. Jezebel, the whole name. I mean, I don't think you guys even know what that name means. I don't think people even looked up much about what is Jezebel's character and nature. You just know, nope, not a good, not a good name, not a good lady. Isn't that amazing that someone so brands a name that nobody wants to call their daughter Jezebel? Huh, interesting. Well, here we go. You're already into it. So Ahab is king of Israel at the moment. He is, he is the husband of Jezebel. Just to fill you in quickly, he, he did a very bad thing, uh, Ahab. He actually not only got into idolatry and brought Israel right down to its lowest point, almost, of all the kings, but he also went and married this woman, who was a Sidonian woman, a Canaanite woman, and she married her and brought her into, uh, if you can put it like this, into the presence of God's people. So... Um, in reading this, she massacred, verse 4, carrying on, Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord. That Obadiah had taken 100 and he had hidden them in the cave and hid them away. So she immediately began to show her traits. She hooked in to getting rid of God's spokesman, yeah, the prophets. <laughs> she wanted to get rid of God's uh, plan and work. So this is interesting. And, and you know, I want to um, sort of bring very clearly some parallels that are just totally um, stand out so we can understand where we are right now and what we're living in so if you go down a bit further and keep reading verse 5 and 6 uh, if you go down there verse 8 sorry 7 8 um, so now Obadiah was on his way and suddenly he met Elijah or Elijah met him and he recognized him he fell on his face and said is that you my lord Elijah he answered it is I Go tell your master, Elijah is here. That's my favorite verse in the whole, why? That's a great verse, that one. I'll get back to it in a moment. And so he talks about how Ahab now is going around killing people, of course. And the Lord, as your Lord your God lives, no nation or kingdom where my master has not seen someone to hunt for you. And so he said, He's not here. He took an oath from the kingdom or the nation that they should not find you. So what that's saying is that Ahab and Jezebel have been hunting. They've been hunting for God's man, hunting for God's people. Literally, proactively hunting for them to kill him. And so it shall come to pass, um, and now you go and say, tell your master Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass as soon as I'm gone from you, the spirit will come and will carry you away. Verse 13, was it not reported to my Lord what I did then? Jezebel killed the prophets. Whoo, she's into it. Of the Lord, and how I hid a hundred of them and um, in a cave and fed them and looked after them. So Obadiah was obviously a good man. So you obviously find the one good person sometimes in the, in the political situation. And now you say, go tell your master, Elijah is here. He will kill me. Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I shall surely present myself to him today. I love this guy. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, Ahab um, went to meet Elijah. So then it happened that when Ahab saw Elijah, 
um, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on the Mount Carmel and 450 prophets of Baal and the other 400 prophets of Asherah and who eat at Jezebel's table. So they're going to have a showdown. Good old fashioned showdown. So that's, what is that? 100, 400, that's about 800 odd plus 850 prophets. So there's many gods, but Elijah said, I'll face you with the one true God, the one living God. All right. So um, Elijah's saying, you can bring all your gods represented by these prophets. And they were many. That's why it says um, your gods or Baals. It was actually plural. But it was used singular in the Bible for the God that you and I worship. Jesus Christ, the Lord your God, is one God. And you shall have no other gods before me. So here's a real showdown. But this showdown, when you talk about it, was... In 1824, you call on the name of your gods, and I'll call on the name of my Lord. That's verse 24 of chapter 18, 1 Kings. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And the people said, that's well spoken. So he's, Elijah is showing up by having a showdown. A showdown is like, I'm coming to end this. Relentlessly, we hang on to the fact is that there's only one God. You've brought in false gods. You've hunted down all the Christians. You've hunted down the men and the men and women of God to kill them. But Elijah says the only way to stop this type of juggernaut is to actually have a showdown. Is you can't you can't fiddle around with it. You can't pray for it. Really, he's not talking about praying for it, and he's not talking about that we should have some type of um, gentle, gentle approach, touch point. He is saying, Elijah says. Very clearly, some things that I want to talk about here today to you, which I think is important. One of the first things you'll notice here three times in this passage of Scripture, he talks about saying to uh, uh, the first person he meets is Ahab, that wicked king. He was a weak man. Ahab was weak as. Weak because he let his wife Jezebel dominate and run all over top of him. But that's the traits of Jezebel. The traits of Jezebel is she's a controller. Wants to control everything about um, the life of what he had and what he was supposed to be doing, assisting his people. Because Ahab was really a political force. That was the politics of the day. And when he married into her, she became the actual uh, political power and drive. A manipulator. She manipulated him. Uh, she controlled the people. She was also a liar, and she used fear to grip the people. All of those traits, you'll see, that belong to this woman, Jezebel. Now, um, I'm going to first of all go back a little bit, because I want to touch on something that I feel is really important to sort of bring up here to you now that are listening. It's interesting that three times in this passage, that, that line that I, I said to you before, where Elijah, when uh, he was approached by the, the um, steward of the house. Now that steward of the house and the political house that's talking about of Ahab is equivalent to Trevor Mallard. So I want to just straight away connect them up. How does Ahab and Trevor Mallard connect? It is simple. Trevor Mallard is the speaker in the house. 
In the first verse, it talks about the, um, the one who's a steward of that house. And when you look at this, that Ahab was wicked because he and his wife, first of all, fought to destroy. To destroy what? To destroy the man of God and to destroy the Christian movement. Everything about Christ or God, she set about to destroy. She was literally married by a satanic influence to bring someone from the outside that was wicked enough to carry out a plan of elimination within. Wow, you know, this is amazing because when you think about this, this is exactly what's happening in our world today. So Trevor Mallard was the first, uh, he's the Speaker of the House, that was a representative of the House as well. It was easy for me to connect these dots. You don't even have to strain to try and find it. He was the Speaker of the House. He was also responsible in actually um, uh, proactively going after the name of Jesus Christ to throw Jesus Christ out of parliamentary prayer. That's a serious act. That should be a serious act to not only just Christians, um, even to a lukewarm Christian. That should um, stir up the fire in their backslidden heart. But I'm talking about people who don't even like God and don't like Christ. Why would you think that a speaker of a house, a politician that doesn't have any time for religion, goes out of his way to actually go and hunt down the name of Jesus, take it out traditionally, and as being a Christian country, why would you take the political effort to go after the name of Jesus Christ, to remove it out of the prayer, to take it right out of Parliament, kick Jesus out, and then replace the prayer with all sorts of prayers for any religion or belief or ideology that anybody has. So straight away now, you can see that this is more than just politics, and it's more than just religion. This is demonic, a satanic act. Now, he also dug in further, and they wanted to try and take the Bible away. In fact, they have succeeded in taking away the Word of God, even if it's representative, just representative. You might say, well, all New Zealanders don't believe. But the fact of the matter is, that book is the Word of God. I don't care what you say about it. What you believe about it, what you've been told about it, or what my or your experience is about it, that book is God's Word. It doesn't just contain God's Word. It is His Word. And so every oath in the judicial system, that was what was used in getting people to try and tell the truth. Not that they would just by laying their hand on the Bible. But in some respect, it shows you how much disrespect that there is to the faith now and to the Word of God. People will lie without any battering of an eyelid, putting their hand on it, saying, under oath. So we're in dire straits. We're in real deep trouble. But they wanted to say that the book now is not the only book you can swear on. Someone wants to swear on the Quran. Someone wants to swear on a um, unbelievers satanic Bible or they want to swear on anything they like that has been also welcomed into our parliament so now you see they also want to attack the um, the national anthem (coughs) and they want to remove the national anthem and there's been efforts from within the same place to try and take our national anthem down and also take away our flag because they all want to remove our faith because they want to get at our families so they can break down our future. That's right. This is so simple. Yeah. And to destroy 
the very fabric and foundation of what you build your lives on. The thing about this, and, and I think it's in Revelations chapter 2, verse 20, the first warning that the risen Christ gives to the church, found in Revelations 2.20, he says, I have this thing against you, the church. And he makes it really clear, and it's quite chilling. He says, I have this against the church, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Ah, that's a word. That's brought out right early in the piece. And then if you read it yourself, it goes through what Jezebel is doing amongst Christians and what Jezebel is doing in political power. The seduction, the, the lying, the controlling, the manipulation, and the fear that she puts in the hearts of people. All that description is describing a woman we have presently right now. Because you've got to understand from 1 Kings 11, and I have taught this church about this, 1 Kings 11 is one of the most revealing passages of scriptures where it talks specifically about naming the foreign uh, satanic gods that I've taught my church about. A lot of Christians are not aware of this. But it goes to say that Solomon, who was the son of David, who was brought up in the ways of his father, but he began to lose his way. Isn't it interesting how you start off so fresh and when you first meet Christ or you're involved in the church and everything's going well, how well you live, how high you live. But it doesn't take long after some trial, nothing like COVID to test to see where the saints are at and how, how strong is your faith. You can't be married to the church to think that that's your salvation. You won't find the church is your salvation. You can't get it from other believers either. And neither can you actually find it by thinking that all the high times, the good times, and whatever else you think comes from that is the way to do it. It isn't. That will not sustain you when the heat comes on. You have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is deep for you, and it's not dependent on your spouse, husband or wife. You have to have your own. And if you don't have a living, vital relationship with Christ, you're going to be found wanting. And the enemy will work you over to try and put you in a position where you cool. And not just actually backsliding, because you feel bad enough as it is about not being where you should be. You know what I'm saying? And there's many I'm talking to today. You, You know that it's been difficult and hard. Yes, it has been. We haven't been able to all meet. You haven't been able to have the usual fellowship and to be, you know, having the support and encouragement of others. But, you know, we can't live on other people's encouragement all the time. And, and that's my only fear about people saying, oh, I want to get back to the old church and I want to get together. And I, I know that feeling. But it's, it's if your, your spiritual life is dependent on what you get from others, then you're going to find it very difficult for you to be able to pass on and strength to your children and your grandchildren. Because you won't be able to have that entirely. So I want, to, I want to leave you with something, or give you something there and leave it with you deep in your heart about what was important that I get from Elijah and what he says here. Can you get me a tissue, please, Hannah? Over there. Okay, so here's what he says. This is what Elijah says. Excuse me. He says, 
Go and tell, go and tell Ahab, Elijah is here. I like that statement. There is, there is a, a statement of, of a sense of importance about himself. Right? This is not the Christian teaching, and I'm not really advocating that you should be um, taking on an arrogance, um, a self-absorbed you know, a, a part about you. But because the modern-day Christianity needs to be lived quite confidently, quite strongly, we're facing devils that have been cultured, experienced, for thousands of years. They don't die when you cast them out. They don't go to the eternal pit. They move on through generations. See, that's the thing. When these demons started way back in Genesis and they were already developing a whole socialist antichrist movement in Genesis 6, these are thousands of years ago. So in parallel with demonic and satanic curses going down bloodlines, what was supposed to be traveling down bloodlines is generational blessing. How good is it to be blessed? And the generational blessing was always stronger than a generational curse. So how is it that, that we always have to talk about the generational curse more than the generational blessing? Because more people are suffering from generational uh, trauma and generational curses and also generational habits and proclivities and stuff that's been passed on down our bloodlines and our spiritual bloodlines as well. So we have to always do interruptions along the way and you'll find that there'll be five or six generations of poor spiritual experience. All right? And so you find that poor spiritual experience begins to gather a strength in itself. So you've got drugs, you've got addictions, you've got violence, sexual perversions, you've got anti-behavior, uh, social behavior, you've got people who can't really make it in life, they don't have the values, they don't have the fortitude, they don't have the habits, you know what I'm saying? Because they've been denied that. So we're often very selfish because we're thinking of our situation more than the generation. And so we're bothered about our bills, we're bothered about our jobs, we're bothered about us. And, and quite often, we don't think generationally. God's always generational, you know that. While we were thinking about my family, he's thinking about a nation. That's kind of like the difference. When he's taking Joseph, yeah, he cares about Joseph, his brothers, and Jacob, and all of that generation, but he's caring about Israel. He's caring about a big nation. He's, he's looking ahead to his son coming. God is, Christ is about a thousand years ahead. When you know, you're, you're a thousand seconds and like kind of thinking about my life and how I feel and what's going on in my world. You see, that's the, that's the difference that we're saying here. That Elijah, when he comes, he does not come in a state where he's still doubtful about him. Right? He carries a sense or a state of importance. In other words, he's very defined He's self-defined. He has right down pat who he is. He is not stuck in the expectations of what other people are making for you. Um, you know, spoken and unspoken. Because this is how we act, you know. This is how you act in the job place. This is how you act in the whānau. This is the protocol. Rubbish. If you get caught up in that, 
then you've already been limited by other people's perceptions of you and you haven't even heard them speak it. You just think that they're thinking that about you. I could be thinking that you're thinking this about me. I don't give a damn what you think about me. Isn't that a lovely thing about what, what your loving pastor says? I don't. And even if you tell me this is what you think of me, I have learned now, so damn what? It's not my, it's not my business thinking about what you're thinking about me. What you think about me, I don't care. What I think about me, I do care. That is the most important thing. This keeps popping up time and again. You can't go past many stories in the Bible when you see success immediately linked to somebody who has sorted and figured their own selves out. You cannot afford to be in a bad relationship with you, let alone other people. The only reason why you're in a bad relationship with your wife or your husband or others is because you've got something going on with you and you that's kind of not connecting. It's not right at the time. And, you know, generally speaking, you are at peace with you, but it is easy to lose that inner peace and rhythm that keeps you in harmony with you. So that's why, and it's interesting that three times in a short space of Elijah getting threatened by a political power, that um, she has killed some of the prophets of God, but now he's saying, well, you, you might have dealt with some hairy-fairy Christians. You dealt with some Christians that were weak, that they were feminized, because that's what Jezebel is. Her god Ashtaroth, which is in 1 Kings 11, it says Ashtaroth, and Solomon got into that, was one of the major gods of the Canaanite people, the Palestinians, which was a female goddess of sexual perversions mainly, but also in other types of feminine behavior that was anti-social, like um, female, uh, the feminine side of evil, which wants to take over weak husbands, wants to dominate weak men. And sometimes the women have been pushed into this because the man has abdicated his role, so the woman steps up to the plate. But that's not for her to permanently possess. She, she has to sometimes take the position of looking after the family because she is more affectionate to the children. But really the man needs to step up to the plate to take his role as a protector, a provider, and somebody who is going to lead his wife and then his family into the things of God. Often there can be tussles in the marriage, domestics, because the man thinks that he should be the dominant one, and the old thing says, you know, what I say goes, and she will fight back now because woman's livers come back from the days when she used to say, my Lord. <laughs> my wife hasn't said my Lord to me for ages. <laughs> We've got close to a little wee spurts of Christian euphoria by saying, my queen. Yeah, he, my king, you know, and they're battling the next day with two knives, you know. <laughs> so there's this kind of this kind of thing going on where we're actually still sorting us out, let alone asking me to go and sort a government out or to sort the uh, control down the road that's going on with forced vaccines. You can't even control your own thoughts. We can't control our own desires in our own life. 
So there's more into what Elijah is saying when he says to him, you go tell them all now that I, Elijah, have arrived. It's like, whoa, that's a statement of self-importance. It's a statement of I'm secure. It's a statement that, well, at least of all my troubles I might have, because the same guy later on runs from her. You know, can't forget that. He runs from her. So there is the, the emotions of a man that's still grappling to find his place. Where is my place? You know, um, how do I sustain in a world that puts pressure on men? Because our masculinity has been stolen a long time ago. And many of us didn't have good examples from our fathers. So we can spend a lot of our life into our 50s and 60s still trying to find where do, how do I fit where I'm trying to find the great relationship between me and confidence and boldness without getting into arrogance and pride and self-absorbed. So here's Elijah. He suffers from actually depression, this guy. He goes down quick. And that's interesting. So uh, no, no flies on, on Elijah because God loves him. He knows he's the man. Isn't that good? You can be suffering from something, but that doesn't make you any less in God's eyes. I've, I'm carrying some issues in my life, but God still used Elijah. He knew that Elijah was going to buckle the very next instant. He's on a high. He sees God call out fire from heaven and burn all of the altar, the rocks, the water, and the sacrifice. And he kills 850 bad people. I mean, that's a significant... I mean, Elijah is the man. He is the prophet of history. And yet he suffered anxiety. He got into a corner, he sat in a chair, and he thought, what am I, I just don't feel like serving God. Am I talking to somebody today? Am I touching a man, even a woman, talking to you? You know, sometimes you feel like, gee, am I a, am I a fake? Am I a false to my Christian brothers? Smiling, hi, brothers and sisters, you know. And then next thing you're at home, and you look like you're a loser. <laughs> We're all laughing, we must... <laughs> that's good that's beautiful but it is true though I'm only speaking the truth that, and that's when I think a healthy relationship is that when one partner is struggling look what Elijah needed he needed someone to come alongside that was actually in a, a greater place <laughs> at the moment and God said to him hey get up have a hangi hamburger whatever get some food in you and this is what he says he doesn't feel sorry for him he doesn't give him pity to feed on that's the worst thing that you can do for your man ladies is give him pity walk around him on glass but she says get up God says get up and get going get moving there's some work to do it's almost like some things aren't going to be really totally healed in this life wow I said it I mean it's almost like you know, some things I'm just going to have to carry right through to my grave. Yeah. As long as it doesn't interfere yeah. with my relationship with God, yeah. it's not hurting people, and I've got it under management, yeah. then, you know, you don't need to feel guilty about that. Yeah. It's something like the thief on the cross. Yeah. Guy lived a damn bad life all the way through, gets crucified by Jesus. Yeah. I mean, this is real last-minute stuff. Yeah. And, and he's deserved to die. Like the one was railing on him. If you are 
God, get us all off here. Let's have a party. No, 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 no. The other one said, don't do that. This man did nothing wrong. We did. Then he says, oh, hey, um, can you remember me and give me a top place in paradise? And Jesus looked at him and said, sure. And then they both died. I mean, how last minute is that? I mean, he didn't say, no, you need to repent now on the cross for a while and bleed out. And... uh, (laughs) And uh, get yourself right, but you can't come into paradise straight away with me. You need to go down to about fifth heaven. No, you said you're with me, brother. That's awesome, isn't it? I love that. Get your hands together. Battling, battling brides and bridegrooms. You know, you know when we're coming together to try and do this. Elijah was like that. Yet he. He knew in a moment how that he should speak and what he should do. That statement about saying, go and tell him, I'm here. I've arrived. Elijah is here. You know, the guy says, hold on a moment. He said, no, just go. Shouldn't you be saying God is going to come? And he said, no, no, no. Tell him Elijah is here. I love this. That's telling me everything about the man who who basically has a good relationship with himself to the point that you've got to be able to fend off all of the limitations that people will try to place around you. I am telling you something right now. More of why you haven't got to where you should be is because other people's limitations, whether they're close to you or whether it's some friends or relatives or what you're reading or hearing on Facebook, or it's in your head. There's still um, accusing voices that will merely try to put you down the moment you think you are somebody. How are you going to take everybody else that's a nobody and make them somebody if you don't think you are somebody? what What I love about Elijah, he says... The party starts when I come. That's what he's saying. And he also says the party is over when I leave. That's as clear as anything. So you you need to celebrate you. You you need to have a party for you. Because if encouragement is in short supply on your life, look, if you think you're not getting encouraged by me, not having a cup of tea with Simon, or with, you know, somebody else here in the room, or Billy, or Anne, or your, your leader, and your man up with your legacy, or Bishop doesn't seem to be praying as much, or saying things over there, where I can be encouraged, how about you start encouraging yourself? Yes. Because if you give, if nobody else is giving you any compliments, you go on ahead and use a mirror. And start telling you. I've got to say this. See, see, why are we all smiling and happy? Because (laughs) you know very well the best person to encourage you is you. I can tell you, and a whole lot of thousand other people can tell you you're the prettiest thing out. But if you don't believe it, I can come and tell you, Simon, you're awesome, my brother. God's going to use you greatly. And then one after the other can come and say, Simon, you're awesome. Simon, you're awesome. He can have us all day. 50,000 guys tell him, but he can go home. He says, I don't believe it, you know. So it doesn't matter how many thousands tell you how good you are. If you don't believe you're good. So, (laughs) thank you. 
It tells you, so it tells you, my point is, you've got to be very good to you. Be gentle to you. Be kind to you. I take all sorts of rubbish every day. I have all sorts of haters every second. And they grow. But not one of their single comments really gets in there. That probably annoys the hell out of them. (laughs) That I don't get bothered about their, their comments. And he always seems to come back and keeps pushing forward. And he keeps popping up. The guy doesn't go away after 30 years. Well, why would I want to go away? Just because you're saying something rude, something unkind, that you are attacking my person, you're criticizing my body, you're criticizing my voice, you criticize my God. I don't care what you criticize about me. It's when I go away by myself, hugging myself (laughs) and saying to myself, but Brian, you are the best. And that's really... Very good because I'm not living in anybody else's body. I've got to live in Brian's body. So you better make you two uh, the best of friends. And and if you've got to live in you, that means everybody else that's living, you're not living in them. Thank you for your advice. Thank you that you said I'm great. That's great. Thank you you said I'm an idiot. That's great. (laughs) But I don't really listen to what I don't want to in the end of the day. I've got to listen to what keeps me going, what keeps me with my voice for God's word, that keeps me when God says, hey you, when you're having a sit down and a little wee pity party, I want you to cook up some eggs for yourself and some bacon. That's what he says, I'm telling you the scripture. And he says, have a feed, have a good drink of water, get up and move forward again and keep going. The whole world's not dependent on you and how you feel. Oh, I love that. But nevertheless, he said it three times. In a sh- short space of time, he said, go tell them Elijah's here. I love that. Go tell them Destiny Church is here. Go tell them Brian Tamaki is here. Yeah, it's amazing, eh? Because she was more concerned, not about all of the Christians that she'd killed. She was concerned about the one man. Ahab was concerned about Elijah. You troubler. You, troubler means pain. It means, it means somebody that's just an absolute irritation and a nuisance. I could just about put my name comfortably in the scriptures <laughs> right there without feeling that God's going to strike me with fire. I can just put my name there and it's like Jacinda saying, Oh, Brian Tamaki, you pain in my ass. <laughs> I was, I, I was, I was kind of like, I was having one of those days yesterday and my wife, well, um, you can tell her and give her the information. It's about a hundred bucks if you think she's going to pay me half. And I was thinking like, you know, why am I still a political prisoner after 62 days? And I come out of prison, that's 62 days from the time I went into prison. 62 days. I, I'm a political prisoner. Because I come out of prison, I don't even know why I was in prison. I mean, I should have been throwing bricks at cops down in Wellington and, um, and burning fires on Parliament ground because none of them are going to get charged. I should go down with a blimmin' gun in the middle of the city and shoot people like the gang members are because the cops are not charging them. I might as well drive my motorbike down the wrong side of the road that happened recently. A whole lot of us on our bikes, by the way, two tongue to drag somebody out of the car, kick them till they go to the hospital, just about dying, 
but the cops still haven't charged anybody. Apparently it's more dangerous to be speaking. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it if you lined up like all I said, you know. But, and a lot more. There's the, all these people that are criminals and doing all these acts that I just said and throwing bricks and lighting fires and, you know, shooting people with guns, gunfights, driving around, beating people on the road. And then on the end of it, you've got a guy who's speaking the gospel and speaking against bad politi- politics or policies for people. Yeah. Now, who would have ever thought to get on the end of the line, that's the most dangerous man? <laughs> so I talked to my lawyer because I was on a roll. Yes. Why should I be treated like this? Ooh, it's getting close to pity. Ooh, I've got to watch out. Pity, pity and, and, and political thrust. You know, it's sort of like, uh, I mean, I'm right on the line and so I I was after my lawyer and poor guys were probably trying to do my case and I was like I'm going to tell those guys it's time to get me off this so when I'm talking to him on the phone and got there I said I've been 62 days I come straight out of prison I should never be there and um, so you start it's a bit of you got to discern whether is this pity or is this really you know something that I needed to to air and um, I come straight out of that. Then I go, I don't even go to home detention. There's an ex-all black who ripped off his grandfather and defrauded and did a whole lot of stuff, which is usually serious jail time. He got house detention, home detention. I, I came out because I spoke about bad policies, which you're allowed to, and spoke about God, and I get put in prison. And when I come out of prison, I'm not allowed to be free. I don't even get home detention like that guy did. Or all the others throwing bricks at police and getting, getting all the charges, no charges. No, I go to jail. And then I come out of jail. They won't even give me home detention. They give me something worse. 24-hour curfew. So I'm sitting, I'm thinking like, you know, poor me. So I'm talking to my lawyer, and finally the lawyer just says to me, you know, I, I don't even know if you want to hear this, Brian. I mean, it's probably not going to help anything, but I'm going to tell you the truth, because we're stunned by all this too. You know why? Because you're the most dangerous man to this government. So I started to put my hands on my hips. <laughs> You know, I said, is that a ploy to get me to change my mood? And he said, no, no. He said, take it, you probably don't want to hear that. He said, but you are the most dangerous man. Why would they keep you away from Wellington? And when the lawyers got a hold of the Crown to say this guy could possibly negotiate and and, um, probably prevent a horrible, violent end, they said, no. Top cops and the government said, no, we don't want his physical appearance anywhere near Wellington. He comes near Wellington, we arrest them. Wow. Let's go back to brick throwing and, you know, batting and beating each other. And nobody goes to jail. But if I, if I just turn up in presence, I'm immediately handcuffed and taken to prison. But then I start to really think about this. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? A dangerous man. Why am I dangerous? Why, why are they besotted? And actually keeping me under wraps that I can't even move out of my house. Mm. And the 24 hour. So you've got to take notice of this. Mm. He's right. Yeah. 
the lawyer yep. who've been around long enough and the top lawyers said, because you're the most dangerous man to this government. So if I'm the most dangerous man to this government, you're the most dangerous church to this government. So I'm happy to say to every De Destiny Church member, you are on the devil's hit list high. You, we are dangerous to this government. Now, when you think about it, that's right. I was thinking, man, I, I, mean, you, I, can't, I can't move. I can't get out. They tie me down, put you in prison. And they're more concerned about where I am than a whole lot of protests around the country and all the violence that's happening. They, they are worried about my presence. So if that's the case, and if that's these, these demons... Now, I'm going to just, just diverse and just remind me before I, I go out of this. Could you please bring me back to this? But just look at um, 1 Kings chapter 11. It, it goes to say then, and it names Jezebel's uh, principal god first. The first god that's mentioned in there is the god Asherah. 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 Asherah is a, a goddess. It's a feminine demonic spirit. I mean, I find this interesting that that's the first God that leads it out and says, and it names it. So when the Bible names, puts names to these satanic spirits, you've got to take notice of it. You're hearing me. You've got to take notice of it. And it, the first one out of the block is that Asherah. That Asherah, she's a Sidonian um, spirit. It's feminized. I, I, I don't know about demons or satanic spirits having gender or sex, uh, male and female. There could be, there is signs of it, but this one is a, a, fem a feminine uh, principality that has actually taken all of the parts of the woman, the seductive parts, the seducing, right? the manipulation. It's, when I say that, I don't mean women are seductive and are you? So, anyway, su seducing. It's, it's, it's the bewitching. So it was the woman that engaged Satan first. Satan used the woman because she knew that Adam probably would not have listened to the, to the bewitching. But he knew, Satan knew, that he could get through to the man through the woman's charm. Right? And so that's where we see the first bewitching or seduction and controlling the man's authority. So man hate, man, uh, the authority of men really grits some, grates some woman. And so Jezebel hated male authority. She, she also hated the fact that her husband was a king or a political leader. And somehow she thought that I should be ruling and being the political power in this position because he just does not have sneaky enough motivations. So he was moaning about an orchard he wanted, a vineyard. Nabal was his name. Oh, I wish I could have that beautiful orchard. And, but he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't go that step further to actually manipulate or strategize a plan to get him killed and steal, but she had it. So she came along, spoke into his ear, and said, you can have what you want. It's just about how you go about it. So he just was weak and she was wicked. And that's what happens when you have weak men in charge. It allows wickedness into the family. 
Now, what we're talking about here for Esther, she was a, a, a spirit that was primarily seductive, particularly in sexual perversions. So all the sexual perversions that you see in the world today is basically moved by this principal spirit. Then after that, you'll see the amazing thing in 1 Kings 11, and I've taught you this, but I'm going to remind you of it. It brings up the God of Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. That's the next one. God is naming them. That Milcom God, the Canaanite God, was one that was a messenger in political powers. It's the media. It's simple. Yeah, let's go on down. The next one, it goes... So he did evil in the sight of the Lord by allowing these gods to come through these women that he got involved in. He built a high place for Chemosh. There's the other one. I know you're familiar with this. I've got to remind you. Chemosh in the Hebrew is destroyer or violent one. Now, way back in Genesis chapter 16, it talks there about Ishmael being born. And the Bible says that Ishmael will be, he was the half-brother of um, uh, what's his name? Isaac, right? So now you have Abraham having an illegitimate son, an Ishmael, and he had also Isaac by um, Sarah. But this other one was by the, the Egyptian woman, Hagar, because they, uh, they got impatient about trying to get the child. So he had one, and his wife pushed him to have this child. But this is how much they see the generational blessing. And she thought she wasn't going to get the promise of God. So that's what happened there. So nevertheless, Abraham got her pregnant, and that was Ishmael. So Ishmael still had access to the promise of his father. It was impossible not to. Ishmael was the father of all um, Muslim uh, Islam. They would today say to you that he's an ancestor of the Muslim movement, as Ishmael. So when you follow Ishmael down in the Palestinian or Canaanite gods, you'll find that Chemosh became one of the major Muslim gods, the destroyer or the violent one. So back in Genesis, God prophesied, again, the prophecy and said, it'll come up on your screen, it said there in, in that uh, particular chapter, 16 of Genesis, I think it's about 11 and 12, it says that Ishmael will be a wild or violent man and his hand will be against all men of the earth. That's what's happened with, with Islam, yeah. right? Because the violence is there because they want to rule. Mm -hmm. But that same ruling spirit is in Isaac as well. Yeah. So you've got the half-brother, the brother, the promise God had said is, is not with Ishmael, it is with Isaac. So eventually it comes to spiritual Israel, which is us today, mm -hmm. that we carry the promise to rule. Mm -hmm. That's why the kingdom desire in all true sons is we want to rule. We want to be in charge. Yeah. Right? It's not in Christians. It's in kingdom people. Yeah. Sons. As in Ishmael, you'll find that Muslims want to rule too. They want Sharia law. They want to take the world over, it, but it's not for them. So I'm saying this because Chemosh was the God, the Palestinian God or the Canaanite God of the Palestinians of the faith of Islam. Right? So now you've got Ashtaroth, which is the god of sexual perversions. That sexual perversions that's built, because we're talking about political power, and we're talking about her being in political power with Ahab. That's where you get the LGBTQ community, and the whole sexual perversions come through Ashtaroth.
terror, right? You, can, you understand that? So that's the driving force. So you've got now you've got the LGBT, the gay community, and every sexual perversion, transgenders, yeah. you've got um, all sorts of things like that stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Then you've got now Chimosh, so you've got Islam. Yeah. Then there's another one called down here, Molech. Mm. You all know the abomination of Molech. In Leviticus 18, it's very clear. Molech was the god that all of these people sacrificed their babies to. They passed their babies through the fire. So they half burnt them and they stuck them at the altar of Molech. And that Molech was the god who received child or baby sacrifices. That's abortion. So you understand what we're saying? So here you have abortion. You have the sexual perversions that we're countering today, which includes all of the LGBT community, the rainbow community, all genders, transgender, gender bending, all this neutral gender and all this sort of stuff that's going on, and every other perversion that's with that. Then you have uh, Islam. Our government's been involved in all of those gods strongly. Did you know that um, Jacinda Ardern and this Labour government pushed through in 2020 the most extreme yeah. abortion law in the yeah. world? Yeah. You understand what I'm saying here? I'm saying the most extreme abortion world. In fact, the, um, the World News led off by New Zealand MP um, pushes through secretly or quietly, quickly, under the cover of, cover of the COVID, the first year we had the pandemic, Remember that the second she rushed it through. So while there was a horrible pandemic and everybody was afraid and didn't know what it was, she was still interested that there was a drive in her to not be worried about the pandemic at this stage because that's another part of that evil spirit in her. But she wanted to drive through this abortion, right? You think you'd put it off? You'd think you'd, um, you know... Just put it aside and, and, and wait till the time came. It, but no, the opportune time was because she didn't want to just push abortion through because of, of extreme situations where a child had to be terminated, although there's no good reason. She wanted to add all of these things like up to birth, abortion on demand, 20 weeks to birth, and also the abortion of those with club feet, kids, you can uh, clip lip, right? And any other type of injury or disadvantage was enough for you to have an abortion. You bought the child. Sex selection. In other words, you wanted a boy, but you got a girl, you can abort it. Am I getting through here? It gets worse. If a baby survives the cruelty, the cruelty of a, an abortion procedure, and it comes out half mangled, but it's breathing, she says... With the Labour government and most of National and ACT and the Māori Party, that they leave it there without any medical assistance till it actually dies a painful, gruesome, cruel death. They haven't finished yet. You can have abortion right up to full term if you don't want the baby for some reason. Now they've made available on demand, easy, grab a pill, buy pills across the, across the counter to abort your babies. They also put in there that you don't need to have parental consent 
if you're a student at school in the ages of 12 or 13 and you're pregnant, all you do is go and see counsellors who have now been forced or put into school curricula through the LGBT rainbow community that stuffs up the whole you know, understanding of kids and their sexuality, by the way. So don't you get down on me and say I'm getting down to LGBT. It's an evil thing. So there's the worst abortion law in the world. That's Molech. And it's in your country. Now I'm going to go back to Revelation chapter 2. Oh, I haven't finished yet. Revelation 2.20, where Jesus says, I've got this against the church. You tolerate that witch bitch. (laughs) So that's the worst abortion law right in here in New Zealand. Now, I'm not finished. Did you know that this parliament, that's, a, that's that government we have right now, this parliament that you've got now is the most liberal government in the world. What do I mean liberal? Liberal in this sense that there's less real, what we call, moral values out the window. There is actually less Christianity, very little of it, because they've so mangled Christianity. They've so eliminated Christianity. They've so demonized the preachers and the church, so crushed it now, that they have such liberal laws that are so loose and so immoral. Did you know that we beat... Uh, I think it was one of the European parliaments and having the most rainbow, what they call it, New Zealand has the most, this is the headline, New Zealand has got the most queer parliament in the world. Well, I'm a, I'm a blooming Kiwi. I'm a true blue New Zealand masculine man, you know, that's brought up. And you mean to tell me that somehow I have let this all go on in my little country and allowed that parliament and allowed this political establishment to pull all of these these most terrible, cruel, mean, horrible policies? The most liberal? Do you know 10% of parliament, I think it might be 11%, 10% of parliament is what they call queer. So they have bisexual, transgender, uh, lesbian and gay that we've got the gayest parliament in the world now a lot of New Zealanders are clapping right now through the I'll be hated on don't worry but where are you church and where are you everyday New Zealanders that we, lest we forget that this that parliament that you've allowed ourselves to be under is the worst in the world so if there's any d- doubt now about your vote going to blue or red or to act or to Māori Party or some other political wannabe that failed has popped up and is starting political parties now, don't you put your vote to just easy anything? Because why? I want to finish off with this. Getting me back. Now you see those gods she's got. So she, the, 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 the mosque attack and her wearing the turban and inviting a Muslim imam into our parliament. That was all part of the spiritual, yeah. the demons that are driving her. Mm. She's not just mean and cruel. She's actually driven by demons. Yeah. And many in that Labour Party, actually many in that parliament. Yeah. It is the Tower of Babel, it's to be right. honest. Yeah. Right. It's harboring some of the most cruelest, right. worst, nightmarish, yeah. satanic devils 
in the world yeah. is right down there. That's why, New Zealand, you can't any longer because Elijah said, how long are you going to be between two opinions? And he fronted this with religion, but good religion, with Christ. He came and he said, this is not about me and the prophets. It's about, let's see which God is the real God. The God who answers by fire is the real God. So he's throwing God right out in front and saying, no, 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 no. This, this political establishment in this country can no longer try and, and isolate and to, to um, marginalize and put us aside as Christians any longer. Because the way they've treated God in my country has been despicable, disgraceful. And so that's why I am the most dangerous man in this country to this government. And this is the most dangerous gathering of people to this government and any other government that decides that you want to try and eliminate Christ out of politics. You try to take God out of our families. You try to remove him out of parliamentary prayer. You've done that. You try to take our flag down. You try to take our faith down. You try to take our families down. And then you try to meddle with my future. I'm telling you right now, we're coming for a showdown. There's a moment right there. We can't let this country, as Elijah said, you know, you set up your, your situation, your positions, do what you want to do, and we will set up ours. And then we'll see which God is the true God. All the gods that you are claiming to be, or the one true God, Jesus Christ. You see, one of the things that I, I feel is so, is so uh, how can I put it, annoying, it must be very annoying to heaven. It must be annoying to God that, that Jesus would have to come and say, the first thing I have against you is that you're tolerating. You're allowing. You are allowing this to happen. You allow these people to get in there. You're allowing yourselves to be moved along by a whole population or part of the population of this country who now have to have a word spoken to them. You cannot just think that you're going to vote every Tom, Dick and Matt and Winston and um, whoever else and put them in Parliament when they've been a part of that establishment before. And National or Labour or ACT or Māori Party or the Greens and definitely not Labour. These people have been a a part and, and they have been joined by spirits that now have infested our Parliament. And to have the most extreme abortion law in the world. And also, I'm not even talking about euthanasia and passing the death penalty to people. And to be able to open the doors to all sorts of religions. I'm saying now that we have to begin to stand up and honour God's word. Honour the flag. Honour the faith. Honour our future that men have given their lives and women have given their lives for in the world wars. Have died for our freedoms our rights to have a country that at least we can, we can be comfortable in saying that we can, again, pray openly and talk about our God without being maligned, about marginalised, criticised, mocked. I'm saying there are times right now for a showdown. There's a showdown coming 
where we're no longer going to take these false gods ruling over my country, trying to destroy my children and my grandchildren's future. We are dangerous. We're dangerous because we have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have God's word in our mouth. And while you try to destroy God's servants and you're trying to destroy his church, I'm saying to you, Elijah, one. The story has already been foretold. That fire came out. There's going to be fire that's going to come on your altars. Fire that's going to burn up your altars. Fire that's going to burn up your idols. Fire that's going to burn up your false ideologies. Fire that's going to cleanse and burn up our corrupted political system. There's going to be a holy fire that's going to come from some people who are going to cleanse the whole floor. You talk about cleansing parliament recently? Well, I'm telling you right now, I'm talking about a fire that's coming from heaven to clean clean our political establishment so we can have a future and a hope. So in Jesus' name, I say right now to the people that are everywhere, do not lose hope. Don't give up. Don't stop being excited about what God's going to do. Fire is coming. A fire that's going to come to burn all the stuff that you thought we could never overcome. I am looking forward to the day that God begins to remove every idol out of my country. Every false ideological viewpoint. Every false uh, belief in my country of New Zealand is going to be taken back. And we will bind up the murdering spirit of abortion and moly. I bind up the spirit of false faiths and religions and beliefs that people have acquired to try and live by that is not Christ. I bind up the spirit right now. They will try and bring these perversions through our education system and our perversions in our churches and in our classrooms. In Jesus' name, I release right now for this country a fire that's going to come up in the church again. A fire in every man and woman's heart where now they're going to be able to say, hey, I want to tell you something. You let them know Brian Tamaki is here. You let them know that Simon is here. You let them know that Lily is here. You let them know that Jenny's here. You let them know that Today is here. You let them know right now Abraham's here. You let them know, put your name there and say, I am here. Tell them I'm coming. And that's what the Bible says. Their hearts froze in fear. Time to put fear back into their hearts. It's time for us to take the fear that they've been feeding into the people of New Zealand and I take that fear right now and put it into the hearts of the Labour government. Put it in the hearts of every other government and politician that's lying and doing flip-flops and false promises that they're going to fear. You better fear my name. You better try your best right now because when we get loose, we're coming for you. We're coming for you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. My God. Simon? Simon, go and tell him I'm coming. Tell him I'm coming. What a word. Obadiah, you go and tell him. I'm here. The party started and it's over when I leave. I I love this guy. Tell him I'm coming. Three times he says it in a short space of time. You go tell him. Put your name there. Next time your your boss gets cheeky or somebody's getting smart or somebody's threatening you, you tell him, hey, I'm coming. Let them work the rest out. 
Throw some fear back that way. Don't go in a little wee fetus position and give up. You put your name I love it. Tell them, Elijah is here. Oh, he's just beautiful. You go tell them right now, Elijah is here. Are they scared of you? Well, apparently they are. Whatever's going on down there, you tell them I'm coming, honey. That's beautiful. Tell them Destiny Church is coming. Tell them Two Tangata is coming. Tell them I'm coming. Wow, I love it. Ooh, the devil. You're starting to shake, tremble. It's great to put that fear that they're using on us to put it into them. Praise the Lord. That's good. I love that. Thank you so very much for being here this morning. Let's, Let's keep our chin up. Let's keep believing. Put fire on that thing. If it's threatening your family, put some fire on it. Tell them you're coming. You're dealing with the wrong person. Amen. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name. Bless every person that hears this message today. I pray, God, that you continue to work through your people. And I ask mostly that we can see the tearing down of these evil, these evil idols and these policies and this government that's destroyed. I pray that somehow you'll give back 10 times, 7 times and 10 times over. Pressed down, shaken together, running out all over, Lord. I believe it can be better than before and it'll never happen again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Amen.